I think every one of us has experienced the hurt of betrayal. Sadly, there have been times when you and I have actually been the betrayer. Experiencing betrayal often begins in childhood and certainly by our early teens. A, a grade school boy tells his best friend about a girl he likes. And the friend betrays his trust by telling the girl. And that's the last thing he wanted to know was for that girl to know that he liked her. Of course, the news spread quickly throughout the class. The embarrassment was overwhelming. A middle school girl promises another girl that they are best friends forever. They text each other all day long. Every moment away from school is spent together. And then, then the so-called friend gets accepted into a group of very popular girls. She immediately dumps her farmer BFF. She won't even respond to her texts. And it hurts. Now this one I've got is a kind of a questionable case of betrayal. Two brothers were wrestling in the house and they'd been told many times not to do it. But they did it anyway. Besides, mom was away at the grocery store. No one would know that is, until they broke mom's favorite lamp. The lamp was a family heirloom passed down for generations. And their little sister witnessed the entire event. The boys put the pressure on the sister. They made her promise that she would back up their story that the dog's tail had knocked over the lamp. Well, as soon as mom got home and saw the lamp, that sister ratted out her brother's. Now, we have to admit, she did do the right thing, but her brothers felt betrayed. Betrayal doesn't end when we become adults. If anything, when we become adults, betrayal gets even worse. It gets more painful. An old friend of mine found out his wife was cheating on him with her boss, and he was broke, heartbroken. He tried to work it out, but she kept cheating. They eventually ended up in divorce. My boss once took credit for a big project that I had done. He took my name off the project report and replaced it with his name. And then he sent that report to sales and marketing. And I would never have known, except a friend saw the report and recognized my style of writing. He called me. I was shocked. I had been betrayed by my manager. You know, we can be betrayed at work or in our family or by our closest friends. And sadly, we can even be betrayed at church. And to be betrayed has to be one of the more painful things that we can experience in life. To betray someone is to be unfaithful. It is to break their trust. It is to greatly disappoint them. Betrayal, though, only happens when we have a relationship with our betrayer. And that's because a stranger really can't betray you. You don't know them, so you haven't placed any trust in them, and so you can't place, break a trust that you don't really have. We typically have very few expectations of strangers, so how can they really disappoint us? It's the violated relationship that makes betrayal hurt so much. 
So there is a solution. If you don't ever want to be betray, don't let anyone too close to you. I, I had a pastor once tell me that I shouldn't make friends with the people in my church. And I heard what he said, and I was surprised, and I quickly dismissed it. That approach would never work for me. The pastor had obviously been burned, and he wasn't about to let it happen again. There's an old saying, it's better to have loved and lost than to have never have loved at all. And I think that's true. I understand people's reluctance to let people in, particularly when it comes to a romantic relationship. You see, betrayal and romance are a very ugly mix. If you've been betrayed, Jesus knows your pain. He was on the receiving end of the most hurtful betrayal in all of history. And of course it came at the hands of a friend. We read about this betray impending betrayal just a few minutes ago in John chapter 13, verses 21 through 30. And our first clue of this betrayal actually came in last week's scripture passage. If you were here last week, you might remember this was a passage where Jesus washed his disciples' feet. It was a lesson in serving others. But there was actually more going on in that passage. During the foot washing, there were a few comments that were made concerning Jesus' betrayer. The comments were made after Peter objected to Jesus washing his feet. And so Jesus replied to Peter, and then Jesus added these words. And you are clean, but not every one of you. John added this to his narrative. For Jesus knew who was to betray him, and that's why he said, not all of you are clean. Still in last week's passage, Jesus then continued, he said, I am not speaking of all of you, I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, Jesus said, so that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. And of course, he was referring to that he was the Messiah, the Son of God. Jesus knew he was going to be betrayed. He also knew that Judas was going to be the one to do it. And by predicting Judas' betrayal, Jesus was proving that he had knowledge of future events. And Jesus was also fulfilling the prophecy that was written about him in Psalm 41.9, which reads, Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. It's pretty clear Judas wasn't outsmarting Jesus. Judas betrayal had actually been predicted in a psalm that had been written hundreds of years prior. Judas' betrayal was part of God's greater plan. It was a plan that Jesus fully understood and, who, and was carrying out. And even though Judas' betrayal was part of God's sovereign plan, Judas was responsible for his actions. He's the one that carried out the evil deed. Now, as we move forward into this week's passage, we're still in the narrative of what we call the Last Supper. Jesus was headed to the cross. This was the last meal that Jesus was going to share with his closest friends before he gave his life for our sins. 
We're going to focus on Judas' impending betrayal this morning. Richard Phillips points out the relational dynamics that are taking place in this betrayal. He wrote that these dynamics include the relationships between the disciples and Jesus, between Judas and Jesus, and between Judas and Satan. And all three of those are going to teach us something about how to live as Christians. So let's start with Jesus' relationship with his disciples. In John 13, 21 and 22, we read, After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. Put yourself back in this narrative for a moment. I imagine that Jesus' statement there, one of you will betray me, was followed with dead silence. Maybe some jaws dropped. Maybe there were some glances back and forth at each other. Jesus had just dropped a bomb. Maybe the disciples didn't understand the words Jesus spoke about betrayal as he washed their feet. But there was no escaping them now. John wrote the disciples looked at one another uncertain of whom he spoke. And then we're told... One of his disciples, the one who Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. And so Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. And so that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? After Jesus shared that news, the news of his betrayer, and revealed that person to, God, to John, Jesus said to Judas, what you're going to do, do quickly. And at least some of the disciples thought Jesus was sending Judas out to buy food or, or Jesus wanted Judas to give some money to the poor. The disciples were, were clueless. Their relationships, the disciples' relationships with one another were built on their trust in Jesus. Jesus was at the center of their lives. And even though another gospel tells us of some rivalries that erupted during the Last Supper, at this very moment, they were one. They were struggling to believe that one of them would actually betray Jesus. They trusted each other. An example of that relational strength is shown in Peter. Outspoken Peter, if you think about it, he was a natural leader of the disciples. His brash character shows up throughout the Gospels. Peter also often demonstrated the most faith of the, of the disciples. He was part of the inner circle, Jesus' closest friends. And we could perhaps conclude that Peter was number one in that circle. And so wouldn't Peter be seated closest to Jesus? Well, he wasn't. John, who is called the beloved disciple, was at Jesus side and that was okay Peter asked John to whisper in Jesus ear to concerning his betrayer when Peter did that his words revealed humility Richard Phillips suggests Peter relied on John to gain information that was unavailable to Peter himself Peter relied on a, a fellow disciple he trusted John and John asked Jesus, who is it? 
In Matthew's gospel, the disciples said to one another, is it I, is it me? And if you think about that, in both instances, there was not an immediate accusation of anyone. Instead of asking, is it me, it would have been very easy to look around and say, you know what, I know it's this guy, or maybe it's this guy. You know, I never, I never trusted him. But the disciples gave one another the benefit of the doubt. And that trust is seen in what we read that happened next. The disciples had heard Jesus say, one of you will betray me, followed by Jesus saying to Judas, what you're going to do, do it quickly, and then Judas immediately left. Now, if we were been sit- had been sitting there, maybe we would have put one and one together. I mean, think about it. Jesus saying, one of you will betray me, and then saying to a disciple, whatever you're going to do, go do it now. And then that disciple leaving immediately, that might have caused some suspicions. And yet, the disciples, at least some of the disciples, thought Judas had simply been sent out to run an errand. We can learn from the disciples' relationship in Jesus in this instance. The first thing we learn is that Jesus unites Christians. We sing about it sometimes. We are one in Christ. We may disagree, but we're family. We have each other's back. We love each other because the love of Jesus lives inside of us. And then second thing we learn from this part of the passage is don't point fingers. The disciples didn't point fingers. Instead of pointing fingers at others, we focus on our own hearts, our own faults, our own spiritual attitude. And then third, we don't always know somebody's heart. Judas looked like a Christ follower. He wasn't. We may know someone who looks like a Christian, but isn't. But we give them the benefit of the doubt. We also don't give up on people. That person that looks like they're very far from God, well, God might be working on them even though we think they're a last cause, lost cause. And so we continue to pray for them, to love them, to share the truth of Jesus with them. The second relationship to consider in the dynamics of betrayal is that of Judas and Jesus. Now, I have to admit, I think this is kind of a tough one. You know, last week we noted that even though Jesus knew Judas was going to betray him, Jesus still washed his feet. And the question comes to us, would we show such love to someone we knew was planning to hurt us? When John asked Jesus who was going to betray him, Jesus answered, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. Jesus' statement makes a point that we can easily miss. Judas had to be sitting very close to Jesus. To sit close to the teacher was to have a place of honor. The betrayer was in a seat of honor. You know, there there is a saying that you keep your friends close and your enemies closer. And maybe that's what was happening between Jesus and Judas here. But I doubt it. 
Jesus knew Judas' heart. We said it earlier, Judas wasn't going to pull a fast one on Jesus. Jesus was very well aware of how things were going to play out. And so there was no need for Jesus to keep Judas close by so that he could keep an eye on him. And there's something else there that happened that's not obvious. John wrote, so when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Jesus shared his food with Judas. That doesn't seem like a huge deal to us, but in those days, to do something like that was an expression of favor. Jesus, in a sense, was actually offering a blessing to Judas. A blessing to the betrayer. You know, I have to admit, I, I've seen this food sharing in action. First, my, my daughter-in-law, Ruth, often asked my son, Adam, her husband, if she can have just a taste of his food. And I always thought that when she did that, she just wanted to steal some of her husband's food. But in reality, in light of this passage, she was asking Adam to bless her. What a beautiful biblical picture. And you know, I've experienced this as well. I, I have eaten with a, a co-worker who didn't finish her food. On occasion, she has offered me her fries and her half-eaten sandwich. Of course, I would never turn it down. But what I didn't realize is that I was receiving a blessing from this coworker, a, a blessing that, that went beyond eating her fries and sandwich. Jesus treated Judas with the same love and respect that he gave to the other disciples. Jesus loves the worst of sinners, and that means that he loves you and me. See, Jesus' relationship with Judas reminds us that we are to love like Jesus loves us. And that love can be used by God to change hearts. The third and final relationship from our passage is that of Judas and Satan. John 13, 27 says that Satan entered into him. Satan entered into Judas. And Judas then left to complete his act of betrayal. I have a tough time with Judas' betrayal. Maybe you do too. Can, think about the facts of this. Judas had been with Jesus for three years. He had seen the miracles. He had seen the wonderful things that Jesus had done. He had been taught by Jesus. Jesus trusted Judas with the money of the disciples. Jesus loved Judas. He treated him, him with respect. He showed him how to live. And even when his betrayal was imminent, Judah, Jesus washed Judas' feet and gave him some of his own food. How could Judas have allowed himself to be a pawn of the devil? I don't know. I don't know. But I do know Judas had been letting the devil get a, a stronghold before this moment. In John 12, 6, it says that Judas was a thief. A betrayer doesn't wake up one day and decide, I'm going to do this. I'm going to hurt a friend in the worst possible way. 
Now that being said, I know sometimes we do hurt, we do betray someone, and we do it unintentionally. It happens. But this was different. This was very different. Judas' betrayal was intentional. It was planned. It was well thought out. We, we said it earlier, Judas was carrying out God's plan. In Matthew 26, 24, it says, The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas was responsible for his actions. There was no one to blame but himself. He made the decision. He carried out the betrayal. Judas had been toying with sin. He let Satan gain a foothold in his life. We don't have to give in to sin. James, the brother of Jesus, wrote, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And the lesson, the lesson we learn from Judas' interaction with Satan is very straightforward. Don't toy with sin. Don't let sin get a foothold in your life. Don't let Satan get a foothold. Jesus said, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. He said, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Now, Jesus didn't really mean that we are to physically mutilate ourselves. Not at all. But he was making a point. And the point he was making is we have to remove ourselves from the place or the situation that tempts us to sin. Cut that thing out of our life. Don't give the devil a foothold. The good news of Jesus Christ is that even when we fail, there is hope. There is forgiveness. No matter what you have done, no matter what I have done, we can be forgiven. Judas did the unthinkable in betraying Jesus. I mean, he sold Jesus' life for a little bit of money. And Judas regretted his sin. But he didn't ask for forgiveness. Instead, Judas hung himself. Peter, Peter would deny knowing Jesus three times. Peter sinned against God. Peter repented. Peter was forgiven. Peter became a leader in the early church. The choice is ours. When we have been betrayed, do we forgive? Do we ask for our forgiveness when we hurt another person? Or do we shut down and shut out Jesus? The right answer is as clear as night and day. It's as easy as choosing light over darkness. Choose light. The very last words of our passage say this, and it was night. Now, it probably was night, but it was also the hour of darkness when the Son of Man would be betrayed and delivered to the cross. 
when the world seems dark, when we're filled with darkness, when someone has betrayed us, when we wonder where there is any light, I would encourage you to remember Jesus' words. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life.